Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. Our speaker this evening attained his Master's of Divinity and Master's of Arts degree in Moral Theology from Mount St. Mary's Seminary in 1989. Ordained to the priesthood in that same year, Monsignor Pope has served at several parishes in the Archdiocese of Washington and was <coughs> named a Monsignor in 2005 by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. He has served as pastor of Holy Comforter St. Cyprian Parish in Washington, D.C. since 2007. Monsignor Pope has also taught the ICC's third Sophia Symposium on Moral Theology 101. Uh, it's with great pleasure that I welcome back to the ICC Monsignor Charles Pope. Thank you. Well, are you holy or are you a hypocrite? <laughs> Do we have to decide, Father? <laughs> so we're going to talk about a very familiar text. In fact, if you are on Ash Wednesday, you know it. every Ash Wednesday we read the text from Matthew 6. But I want to try to go a little bit deeper, a couple of levels deeper than sometimes we're able to do in a, in a fairly quick sermon uh, on Sunday. You know, at, at one level, the Lord is giving some pretty clear advice, but there's something deeper going on, the problem of hypocrisy. And it's pretty, most of us have a certain sense about what hypocrisy is in the modern sense, but I want to try to show you tonight that the Lord goes a little bit deeper and he presents hypocrisy as a very poignant human problem that, that ought to elicit some sympathy from us, because we all struggle with it to some degree ourselves, and we all know that others do as well. And uh, so we'll take a look at uh, perhaps uh, going a little deeper with that. But before we do that, let's just read the text. So flip your little flyer over tonight if you have it with you. If you don't, Matthew uh, 6 and verse 1 is where we are. So the Lord says here to us, but take care to not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Otherwise, you will have no recompense from your heavenly Father. Now, when you're giving alms, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to win the praise of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your almsgiving may be secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not appear to be fasting, except to your Father who is hidden, and your Father who sees what is hidden will repay you. And thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Now, um, we skipped a section in there uh, and after prayer uh, on the, where he gives the Our Father. Now, I've given you a talk on that before. If there's a little time tonight, we might refer to some of that. But uh, we're, we're mainly looking, though, at the problem of hypocrisy as related to these things. Now, let's dispense with a couple of, though, explanatory things before we delve into this problem of hypocrisy. We live in a time, and this is a very common mental issue, I don't mean mental health issue, but a, a, a kind of a, a flawed reasoning that frequently occurs today in these rather hypersensitive, delicate, and dainty times in which we live. <laughs> so that if somebody makes a point... Many people absolutize the point and then say, well, that's just dumb, and they discard the point. Now, that's a straw man because very often, for example, this happens to me all the time when I'm writing. I may, for example, I had a homily online last, um, last Sunday, I think it was, yeah, last Sunday, on three steps to uh, you know, becoming free of anxiety. 
and I, I gave some spiritual roots of the problem of anxiety. Now, a couple of readers apparently thought that I said, this is the only issue. If you just do these three things, all of your anxiety will just go away, and there's no other sources of anxiety, which I never said. All I said was that there are some spiritual roots to anxiety. I did not make the point absolutely, and, uh, but nevertheless, sure enough, well, you're, are you saying that some people don't have genuine mental health issues? No, I didn't say that at all. Actually, I didn't. You're taking my point, and you're absolutizing it, and then you're knocking down that straw man. I... I am very well aware I've struggled in the past in my life with anxiety, and thanks be to God, the Lord's largely set me free. Thank you, Lord. But I will say that certainly there are biological, there's temperament, you know, temperament-like issues, there's all kinds of things, but there are also some spiritual roots and spiritual solutions. And so, but we have a problem in kind of maintaining a sophistication when we look at things that points that are being made, we tend to forget that very often the person who's making them is holding other things equal. See? I can't delve into every aspect of the problem, but here's one thing to look at, see? But most people miss that point, and they, they get very argumentative. Now, that sometimes happens when we read some of what Jesus says, where we take one or two verses and absolutize them and make them the whole gospel. So, for example, when you pray, it says here, uh, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and pray. Oh, you see, uh, the Lord is saying we really even shouldn't go to church. Just go to your room and close the door, and, and there's never a time to pray publicly. No, no, he's not saying that. That's not, that's not what the Lord is saying. There is a time to come together and pray publicly, and we are required to do it. We're required to keep sacred assembly, as the Old Testament says. We are required to, as the book of Hebrews says, we, we are not to neglect to meet together regularly, as is the habit of some, but altogether, because the days are at hand, that we should indeed gather and support and encourage and pray with one another. See, So, again, uh, the Lord himself did, for example, keep your deeds of mercy secret. Well, yes, but he also says elsewhere, um, let your righteous deeds be known before men, so that they may give glory to your Father. So, again, the Lord is not making the point absolutely but rather he's warning us, though, and here's the real heart of the warning. Not not to pray publicly or not to ever do a public action. For example, you were invited tonight to be generous. And every now and again, a good benefactor will be called forward to talk about what being generous to the Institute has done for him or her. See, there are times to lead in almsgiving and to step forward and to say, I gave, why don't you do it too? See, so with all that in mind, um, the Lord is not absolutely forbidding these things. What he is saying is this, and I think it's clear enough, but sometimes today things aren't seem, seemingly that seem clear are not that clear to everybody. Namely, look, don't do this in order that people may see you. See, It's not never pray publicly, but don't pray publicly simply so that others can see you and say, well, you're approved. No. Some of us who are older remember there was a time when you were kind of expected to have a church and go to church on Sunday, and that was a respectable thing that respectable people did. That's all gone now, right after the revolution. But some of us do remember a time when one was expected who was a decent person, a businessman, a, a, a leader in the community. Well, what church do you belong to? Oh, well, I belong to First Baptist, or blah, 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 or I belong to St. Stanislaus. And, you know, you were expected to sort of be, um, you know, in that role. And some people went to church, that was about the only reason they did go. And that's wrong. We go, we ought to go, because we love God. See? And then the fact that others see us and applaud, well, sh you know, that's not supposed to be the high thing on our list. Or when we give alms, I'm going to get my name on a brass plaque. <laughs> that's why I'm giving. I want that brass plaque. All right? Are you like, no, ideally, that's not why we give, right? Now, we ought to honor people who are, who are generous, but we who give, that should not be our motive, in order that people may see us. So the key thing that the Lord is saying is, look, when you pray or you fast or you give alms, don't do it simply that others may see and applaud. See, And if that's what you're after, that's all you get. You want human applause and that's why you're doing it? Fine. <laughs> the Lord says, paid in full. You got no praise up here. You got it all down there. Paid in full. Okay. Now, again, notice again, though, just to show you that, Look at verse 1 again. Take care. He sets the theme. Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Did you hear that? Don't perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Otherwise, you will have no recompense from your father. Now, the Greek word, apache, kind of means, uh, like, you know, you go to the market, the guy says, here's how much it is, you put the money, and he says, paid in full, peke, you know, paid in full, see? So, in other words... 
I don't know about you, but I want a little recompense from the Heavenly Father. He pays a lot better, right? His, his wages are better and everlasting. But again, if all we want is people to applaud us, then the Lord says, well, you got that. We're done here. <laughs> right? Okay. So, the Lord says, be careful about this. Now, he says, therefore, and then he gives the three examples. But remember, he's elucidating the theme. So, I just wanted to give a real quick theme here. So that we're clear, the Lord is not saying never pray publicly. He is not saying never give alms uh, in a public way to kind of maybe show some leadership and encourage others to give. Or likewise, he's not saying uh, never, uh, never fast or, uh, you know, do that, do that quietly. You see, again, there are just times when we ought to uh, encourage others and take some leadership. But he is saying never do it in order that. Others may applause or applaud for you. Now that then will lead us into the real issue we want to talk about tonight, which is the problem of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So take, let's look at our notes. There's just a couple of introductory points. Um, when it comes to what the Lord is advising us, just look at that question there. It says introductory point. Then the, the question is one of interiority. So follow with me there for a moment. What's really going on in your mind and your heart regarding these matters, namely prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? These are the three fundamental Jewish acts of piety, and also Christian, too, very important for us. Do these things actually put you in touch with God? Okay, you're fasting. Why? Is it to conform to a fast day and to win the approval of others, or maybe even yourself? Oh, I'm, I don't feel guilty. I fasted well today. Thank you. I did very well. Thank you. Are we simply doing it to win the approval of others, or is it, is it because I love God and fasting helps me to love Him more? And I get to show obedience. If I'm asked to fast on a day, I can say, Lord, I can show you that I'm obedient. I love you. See? So you're giving alms. Great. But why? Is it for applause or approval? Is it enough that God, see, God who sees in secret will, will, see, will see your secret deeds? Okay, so you pray. Do you pray to be seen by others and approved by them, or do you pray to be in touch with God even when no one sees it? See, who, who do you seek and whom do you, whom do you choose to relate to in these matters, God or man? See? Now, this then leads to the problem of hypocrisy. So let's talk a little bit about hypocrisy. Um, first of all, let's look at the root word, the Greek word hypocritas. Hmm? It's hypocritas. It's where we get the word hypocrite. Hypocritas in ancient Greek meant actor. Actor. So we're going to go down to the theater and watch the hypocrites. <laughs> Let's hope there's some really good hypocrites up there on stage tonight, you know? <laughs> okay. So, hypocritos, you know, actors, right? So we're going to go look at the actors. Um, so, an actor, an actor. Now, most of us, if I were to ask you for the definition of hypocrisy, would say something to the effect, a hypocrite is one, somebody who says one thing and does another, or who is inconsistent, you know? Yeah, they, 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 they are all into this, but then, you know, there's somebody else when nobody's looking. So, they're either inconsistent or they, they say one thing and they do another. And publicly they're one thing, but privately there's something else. They're duplicitous. And this can be, if, if, if this charge sticks, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing. Um, we, uh, we, you, you don't take lightly being called a hypocrite, do you? See? Because it goes to your character, see? And, you know, always, you know, we always get this thing, and you, you've, said, you've, I, you've heard this so many, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to that church, there's all those hypocrites. Well, there's always room for one more. <laughs> because hypocrisy is a common problem. It's a human problem. It isn't just a problem that Christians have. Now, to some degree, we try to live up to a higher standard, and therefore people are going to kind of be more on edge to watch us and see if anything doesn't measure up. But you get the idea. Hypocrisy is a human problem. Now, but I would argue that Jesus, as he, as he defines it here, is setting out that, that hypocrisy is more than simply about being inconsistent, saying one thing and doing another or something to this effect. But let's all be clear, that's usually our working definition. And if you can get the charge to stick, you can really humiliate and knock somebody down and discredit them. We won't even listen to you anymore. You're just a hypocrite, right? And that is a way of discrediting and kicking someone to the side and just, we will never listen to you anymore. You are a big, fat zero. And it can be a very, very hurtful and severe charge. And it can also be, if you're not careful, bandied about as rash judgments, as destruction of people's character, where we take a very common human problem and we sort of pin it on somebody else in a very strong way, and this can, you know, as I say, help to make their, lose their reputation and, and so on. All right. 
Now, let's be clear. Saying one thing and doing another, especially in big and very duplicitous ways, living double lives, this is a very serious moral issue, certainly. But I think the Lord, as I'm about to give you the definition of hypocrisy that I think the Lord uses here, but it's a very, he goes deeper, and he points out that the problem of hypocrisy is a very poignant, tragic, and yet sad human problem that, that, that deserves a little bit of sympathy because there's a really deep problem going on. So let's, let me give you a quick definition. It's in your notes, but I'll just put it out this way. Hypocrisy is the sad reduction of a human person to a lonely actor on a stage, desperate for applause because they don't know the Father. Now there's important elements there. Hypocrisy is the sad reduction of the human person to a lonely actor on a stage, desperate for applause and maybe money, remuneration, playing, playing to the crowd, hoping to please the crowd. Why? Because they don't know the Father. And that's what makes it so sad that the source problem in terms of hypocrisy is that we don't know the Father. Now, why do I say that this definition? Because you're going to see here that in every time the Lord mentions these, these three examples of hypocrisy, the solution is, your Heavenly Father sees what you're doing. Your Heavenly Father knows what you're doing. Your Heavenly Father will repay you. Your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father. Why then do we fall into hypocrisy? Again, I'm speaking now collectively. Not if everyone is in the same way in this room, I'm just going to say, but collectively, we fall into the problem of hypocrisy because we don't know the Father. I'm going to say this, and it's, it's, it's very sad, and yet I think it's unfortunately very true, that even people who go to church every Sunday, for many of them, God the Father is a stranger. They've read about him in the pages of a book. They heard he sent his son. Somehow he runs the universe, and in some abstract way, he somehow cares for me. But he's basically a stranger. He's up there behind the clouds. He's, even to some people, you know, he's the deity. You better be placated because I don't get squashed like a bug. So I better go and throw some coins in the poor box and say a few prayers and check off the God box by going to Mass. Check off the God box. Now, okay, we're done. Now leave me alone for the rest of the week. And I, I mean, I'm making explicit what is sometimes more subtle and hidden in the depths of the psyche. But there can be some people who do many external acts of piety, but more because they're afraid of God and trying to buy God off or placate the deity than really because I love my father. He's my father. I love him. He's asked me to do this. See? And yet for many, as I say, God the Father is a stranger. Now, I think many people in their prayer life, in, members, in terms of the members of the Trinity, do have some different levels of relationship. Most people I talk to are most quickly able to relate to Jesus. Uh, although there's a danger there. They, they make up a, a fake Jesus. <laughs> the Jesus of Scripture is a pretty prophetic and insistent guy. He's not this, you know, this sort of you know, harmless hippie, all right, uh, who just affirms me, you know, but even whatever. But most people have a pretty quick way of relating to Jesus. We know he lived in history. He, was a, he took up a human nature and so on. The Father we can sort of relate to, but especially today... Because of the crisis of fatherhood, and you've heard other speakers say right, right here at the Institute, you know, the crisis of fatherhood is really at the heart of most of our other social ills today. All right? Complete crisis of fatherhood. Many people, when you hear, they hear God as their father, like, really? Uh-oh. Or some people never knew their father, so their father's a distant, remote figure. Some people have passive fathers. Go ask your mother, leave me alone. Or uh, some are, uh, you know, again, their fathers have been abusive. And indeed, some have had wonderful fathers. And they say, oh, yes, you mean oh, God is a father like my, my earthly father? Oh, wow. Oh, and they can relate. But rarer and rarer today are those who come from healthy families where, in some sense, the, the, the husband and father is, is not part of the modern crisis, right? And that's another talk of how we got there. But I'll come back and do that one some other day. <laughs> but the point being that um, well, all these things affect people's relationship with the Heavenly Father. See, Because when they hear, God is my Father, they're, they're going to look for a model, and if their earthly father is 
you know, in their life, he's, that's going to be one of the things I'll look to. And intellectually, people might be able to say, well, the, the Heavenly Father is perfect in a way my earthly father wasn't. But emotionally and so on, psychologically, sometimes it's hard to get past some of that. And then there's a small number of people who re relate first and foremost to the Holy Spirit. Right? So again, I want to just say in my life, just so you know where I'm coming from, that I began um, uh, my relationship with God seriously uh, in, in my early 20s. And um, I was scared of the Father. I, I went to Jesus and I hung around Mary a lot too. You know? But in, in my mid-30s, uh, some things happened. I don't want to go through all the details now. Some of you have heard my story about my mid-30s, but I went through a kind of a period of difficulty in my 30s. And uh, no moral issues, just a lot of psychological issues, struggles with anxiety and so on. But there just came a moment where it was just powerfully revealed to me that God was Abba. He was my father and he loved me. And real breakthrough, huge breakthrough for me spiritually, you know. And to this day now, I have, I've, I've developed and thank, I only thank God for it, but a real tender love for, for the father. You know, St. Paul says that's the normal Christian life. He says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a, a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Abba. Now, I hope you know the word Abba is not baby talk. It's not da-da. It's, it's, uh, it's, but it's the family word for, for father, right? I, when my father was alive, I didn't call him, call him and say, hello, father. How are you today, father? I said, dad. In fact, he signed all of his notes, El Dado, <laughs> you know. And uh, we had, he had all these sayings, you know, and we called them dadisms, you know, and... Um, yeah, yeah. But again, my father was not a perfect father, but uh, again, he was, a good, he was a good man. Charles Pope Sr., may you rest in peace. But I, I will say that, um, again, there was just this breakthrough in my 30s. And since that time, I've developed a very tender affection for the Heavenly Father. And that's taken away so much of my anxiety, and it's also led me to a great, greater love. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus was crazy about his father. Did you notice that? Have you ever read the Bible? He, he was, he's talking about him all the time, right? And he's always commending us. And really, what did Jesus come to do but to open the way again to the Father? Through his own pierced heart, he shows us the heart of the Father. He shows us the heart of God. And he shows us and he brings us back to the heart of the Father. And the most precious thing that Jesus Christ wants to do for you and in, through his Holy Spirit is to bring you back to a tender affection for the Heavenly Father that cries out, Abba! Abba! And so again, we get back then, though, to the problem of hypocrisy. Where does it come from? It comes from, according to Jesus and his diagnosis, that people are in this condition because they don't know the Father. Now, let's delve a little bit more in the definition of the problem, and then let's look again to the solution. So I've, I've kind of given you a working definition of hypocrisy and a little bit of the solution. Now, let's kind of go just a little deeper with some of this. So come to your notes and... Uh, I would uh, ask you to look on page one, the, uh, the front side of the notes, down there. This leads us to another important discussion on the problem of hypocrisy. Go to the first indentation, all right? The question before us is this. What Jesus means, when, what is, it, what is, it, is this what Jesus means when he uses the word hypocrite, namely our typical definition, right? As you might imagine, there's more, something richer going on in Jesus' declaration, the notion of saying one thing or doing another or of inconsistency is not wholly absent, but something richer and ultimately more important is being indicated by the Lord. A very deep and poignant problem is being diagnosed, a problem for which we should have some compassion, not the severe condemnation that usually accompanies the use of our word, of the word. So again, I've already said some of this to you, but let's just, by way of review, the Greek word hypocritos means actor. What Jesus does in calling some people actors or hypocrites, what does he mean? Fundamentally, what a hypocrite is in biblical terms, especially as Jesus uses it, is someone who is unable to appreciate who God really is, and therefore he ends up as an actor. If we don't appreciate who God really is, then what does our whole life really become about? If I don't know God, what does my life really come to be about? Hmm? What happens is that we end up looking for some sort of navigational points. How am I doing? How am I doing? See, am I successful? You know, how am I doing? So again, so we look for these navigational points, i.e., how are we doing in our life from the reaction of people around us? We do what we do in order to provoke a good or acceptable response on their part. And so we end up like actors on a stage looking for applause. 
The predominant mode of our activity then becomes situating ourselves well in the world of human beings because we don't know that God is our Father, or we don't experience that. So the question is, am I just an actor on a stage, namely a hypocrite, okay, looking for applause in the esteem of men, or am I in living conscious contact with the Heavenly Father, and that this is what governs my, my decisions and my mode of living? And so this is the working principle that Jesus applies to these three principal works of Jewish and Christian piety, namely prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But notice he's using just these three things as an example, right? Now, again, going back to my kind of verbal definition I gave you earlier, therefore a hypocrite is the sad reduction of a human person, let's just say of me, to becoming an actor on a stage desperate for applause. Why? Why am I so desperate for applause, for human approval? Why? Because I don't know the Father. And I haven't experienced His love. And yes, also, His rebukes. Because He loves me. So I, instead of looking to God for who I am and whose I am, I, I look to human beings and I get lost very quickly. Why? Well, there's a lot of problems with being an actor on a stage. And especially in front of fickle human beings. I won't give any names, but about six years ago, a certain president got elected opposing gay marriage. And then four years after that, he got elected approving it. We've seen how quickly human attitudes can change even about fundamental things, right? This age we live in is very fickle. Jesus said of this, of this in every human age, he says, you know, you all remind me of little children. And they were sing they're singing a little tune. They say, we piped you a tune and you did not dance. We sang you a dirge and you did not wail. In other words, he says, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking and you said, he's a lunatic. And I, the son of man comes eating and drinking and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. But time will prove where wisdom lies. See, Jesus didn't come to please human beings, but to please his father, see, and to rescue anyone who would come with him and bring them back to the Father, see. But you see, there's a fickle quality. So, there is, if you will, a divine plan that God has for you to simplify your life. Are you ready for it? It's called the fear of the Lord. Now, fear doesn't mean cringing fear, but it means to hold God in awe. Oh, I love the Father. I'm so amazed at what He's done. I want to please Him. And He says, you fear the Lord, and you don't have to fear anybody else. But if you don't fear the Lord, you will fear 10,000 times 10,000. And so the Lord has a little peace plan for you, a little way of simplifying your life. Fear the Lord. Fall in love with the Father. Hold Him in awe and say, I am so glad you're my Father. I see all of your works in creation. I see the magnificent things you've done. I've seen how you've made a way out of no way in my life. I see what you've done. I thank you, Abba. I thank you, you're my Father. I love you. And all I want is to please you. And your life starts to get simpler and less complex. And one of the problems of hypocrites is that they're inconsistent. Why? Because the audience changes. So I'm on one stage with one group, and I'm, they're all saying, we piped you a tune, you're supposed to dance. And I go to the other group and they say, we're singing you a dirge, and you're supposed to wail. Well, who are you? I'm whatever people want me to be. You want Macbeth? You got him. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you want uh, you know, some, some other character? You got him. See? Whatever you need me to be, I'll be that. And that's the problem of hypocrisy. A sad, tragic reduction of the human person to the state of being an actor on a stage, desperate for applause and approval. Why? Because they don't know the Father. Okay? And you see how unstable and complex and really tragic our lives become? When we don't get it right, we really don't have God as our primary one to please. Now, of course, this is not an invitation to become a sociopath, right? I don't give a rip what anybody thinks, you know. I mean, we want to have, you know, among people we trust, some feedback. And, uh, Father, maybe if you'd comb your hair a little, you'd, you know. Um, I, I try and always sticks right back up, I'm sorry. But, um, you know, but again, you know, we, 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 sh we should be open, but see, not desperate, not horrified by even the smallest criticism, you know? And look at what's going on in our college campuses, y'all. 
Yeah. I need safe zones. I'm feeling like a microaggression. I'm being triggered. Really? Well, grow up, honey. <laughs> it's just awful, you know, what's happened, right? And again, part of this, in part, Dr. Peter Kreeft has, has a very good insight on this. He says that we have so sadly and tragically reduced love to simply kindness, right? So, of course, kindness is an aspect of love, but so is rebuke. So is punishment and teaching, see? But, oh, no, no, you're not being kind. You don't love me. I'm not feeling any love here, you know? I'm, I'm feeling, and so all of a sudden we go from that to saying, you're abusing me. You're abusing me. Abusing you? I'm telling you the gospel. No, it's hate speech. See? So identity, politics, all these things start to emerge. And it's, it's just a huge, huge tragic reduction where people are not in touch with God. And so they become utterly desperate for human applause and human approval. And we go off the rails very quickly. Now, even before those, that's a big societal thing, but you look at how many sins come from the sin of human respect, which is another way of talking about uh, this problem of hypocrisy. What's the sin of human respect? It is the sin wherein I care more about what human beings think of me than what God thinks. Right? You think of all the sins that come from this. Just, it's a major root of sin, right? It's, well, I don't know, take a young lady and she's desperate for love and, and the boys say, well, have, have some sex with me. And she does. Or the guy says, man, I need to belong. And he, so he joins a gang and they start doing crazy, stupid stuff. And before you know it, they're in jail, you know, or, you know, just take a smaller example. You walk up to a group and they're gossiping. And what do you do? You, you just join right in. You want to bond quickly with the group and fit in and get into the conversation. So you just join right in rather than saying, well, you know, this doesn't please God. You either stay quiet or you say, well, you know, Joe isn't that bad. I noticed that Joe actually has a few good qualities, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But you see the vision, which is that it leads to a lot of sin. A lot of sin because we're trying to please human beings who often ask us to do sinful things. Or we're desperate for money. And act, all that, that that gives us, namely access and the applause of men. Well, look at the neighborhood you live in, you know, and look at the size of your house. And we do all that, and one of the ways we get there is, well, we just do whatever the boss tells us, whether it's sinful or unjust or not. And so we fall into a lot of sin by this problem of hypocrisy, don't we? Right? Desperate, desperate, desperate for human access, applause, approval, and everything that that gives us. And all this happens because the Father is a stranger. Okay. Now, uh, let's take a look then with some of this. Um, let's just look at one of the examples. Let's look at almsgiving, all right? So flip your page over there. Almsgiving. When you give alms, don't blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, to win the praise of others, right? Applause, approval. Okay, I mean, I say to you, they've received the rewards. Now, let's look at this. When you give alms, don't blow a trumpet. You know, sometimes scripture scholars get silly, and they think, well, there was probably a large brass tin where they threw coins, and that was making the, the trumpet sound. No, I think all Jesus is saying is, look, don't hire the the, arm, the, the, the band to play when you, you bring the check to the, to the Salvation Army or something like that. You know what I'm saying? He, he's saying, don't, don't, don't hire a band. Don't, don't uh, make lots of uh, uh, you know, uh, noise about uh, your, your works of charity, okay? So I don't think we need to look for a trumpet in the ancient temple, all right? He's not, this is more of a figure of speech here, not a, a literal thing. He says, so, so don't, don't, uh, don't call attention to the fact that you're giving alms as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Well, again, he says, in order to win the praise of others. So you, you start to see how our definition of hypocrisy, right? This isn't just saying one thing and doing another. That, doesn't, that definition of hypocrisy doesn't really fit this, right? What's, what's, being, what's, being, what's hypocritical here is the ostentatious quality. I need for people to see this and <laughs> applaud. I need to you know, have other people just think I'm great uh, because of what I've done. And I, I want a brass plaque with my name on it, too. Thank you. No, you know. Now, um, he says, I, they, they've received the reward. They've been paid in full. All right, if that's what they want, they got it. Done. We're done here, right? Okay. But you, you, when you give alms. Now, who are you? You're the one who knows the Father, right? When you're, you, 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 you who know the Father tenderly. You just love him. And you say, he said, be generous to my people. 
Whatever you want, Father. And you go, and you quietly do it. But when you give arms, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your arm gives me may be secret. And your heavenly Father, your Father, who sees in secret will repay you. Your Father. Now, then the question comes, is your relationship with God the Father that strong? That, that's all you, that's all that, that really is all that matters. See? Is it enough for you that God saw? Now, I don't mean how you should answer the question. Of course it's enough for me, Father. The Father saw. <laughs> of course, yes. That's how you're supposed to answer the question. But honestly, honestly, you see, is it enough? And if not, why not? Part of the reason, part of the answer, if it isn't enough, the Father's kind of a distant figure. I hope he'll reward me. I hope he saw. I know he saw, but I'd like a little something now. A little applause now. You know, I'd like to be noticed. Now, you can start to see, therefore, we're trying to make a journey sort of out of that type of hypocrisy and into the heart of the Father. Amen? And so we're on a journey. So even though you may have made a long way past that, and that isn't really, Father, the main reason why I give. I, I I'm not that concerned that people know about it or what have you. All right. Maybe not about almsgiving, but there's other things in our life. We, want, we definitely want people to see it and notice it, right? Okay. And we want them to be happy and pleased so that we feel safe. And so you start to see that in using this example, the Lord is asking us to look not just to almsgiving or the other two examples, but to look more broadly in our life for the problem of hypocrisy, namely, desperate actor on a stage, desperate for applause because I don't know the Father. All right? So, is it enough for you that your Father sees? Now let's talk about something that's not even on this list, just to show you how this could go. Revenge. In the, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says, look, love your enemies, pray for your persecuted. He says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, offer the other, and so on. Now, I don't have time to develop that whole text, but I want to just say that uh, the Lord is not talking about an act of violence where your very life is being threatened, all right? He's talking about those indignities and those psychological and other uh, emotional hurts that people often inflict. And you know, when we get hurt, and sometimes people can hurt us pretty deeply, and they might even be able to inflict a lot of suffering on us. Maybe they've harmed our reputation or uh, they've taken something that was very precious. See? Maybe they've taken someone who's very precious. And we're deeply, deeply hurt. And there's a part of us that just wants to avenge this and see them suffer. And at some level, the Lord is saying, look, there is a place for some justice in this world so that injustices are prevented. But very often you're not going to get it. Is it enough for you that I saw everything they did and said and that if they, if they die unrepentant that they will answer to me for it? Is that enough for you? And if not, why not? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. See, don't you take this. Let it go now. Put down the bowling balls of your anger and your resentment. Give them to me. I promise you, if they don't repent before they die, they'll answer to me for it. You give it to me and we're done with this. See, But you see, if God the Father is a stranger, and we're not sure about all that, and we're not really in that loving and trusting relationship, we fall into this, I've got to avenge my anger, see? And um, I've got to see other people, you know, suffer. So you see how this problem of hypocrisy also bleeds over into other areas, right? We've got to know the Father, or so many troubles set up in our life, whether it's of hypocrisy or related issues, which are not like literally hypocrisy, but this need to avenge ourselves and, and uh, get people to suffer and pay us back and all those kinds of things. All right. So we see here, therefore, both the problem. Let's just look at another one, prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues. What, why, why, why is he calling them hypocrites? So that others may see them. Actor on the stage. Hypocrite. Actor. Like the actors, like the actors. Hippocrates equals actor, okay? So why is he calling them hypocrites? Because they're only praying so that others may see them, okay? Amen, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now, in our culture, nobody gets credit for standing on the street, street corner and praying, you know. They just scorn us and laugh at us. I mean, at least most. But, you know, you go back to Jewish culture, prayer was very, very important in that culture, and... Uh, people were expected to wear flak trees and do lots of, you know, you didn't just pray like, you didn't just pray like that. You went, you know, you've seen them at the Wailing or the Western Wall there. You've seen that in Jerusalem. You know, it's very visual, right? And flak trees and shawls and lengthy tassels and piety, piety, piety. 
Now, I'm not saying they're all doing it to just be looked at, but you see, it's very, in that culture, it was a very ostentatious thing to pray in public. And because it was a sacred culture, it was a culture where God was important, people got credit for that. And if they didn't do it, they often got discredited. So that creates this problem of hypocrisy. Are they doing it just to be seen, namely like an actor on a stage? But when no one's looking, would they still pray with such fervor? Would they pray at all? Is it enough for you that nobody sees you go to church and pray, but just your father? And if not, why not? And that leads again to that problem of hypocrisy. Now, this one yesterday was funny. It's funny that we read this on Ash Wednesday when we smudged our face and altered our appearance. But you heard in my little clip, it's not about announcing that you're fasting, because frankly, most of us don't know anything about fasting. I got news for you. Some of the Eastern churches still do real fasting. We Western right folks, we don't know anything about fasting. What you had yesterday was nothing close to a fast, all right? I got news for you, all right? One full meal and two smaller meals. All right, come on. Come on. That is not a fast, all right? And two snacks. Come on, you know? You can see I don't have it all figured out, but that isn't going to solve the problem. All right. But again, um, some people, in order to show that they were fasting, would dishevel their hair. Well, here, you, you got it. It's right here. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance, so they may appear to others to be fasting. I say to you, that, you know, they, they, they have already received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face. Get those ashes off your forehead. No. <laughs> um, so that you may not appear to be fasting, except to your Father who is hidden. Your Father who is hidden. And your Father who sees what is hidden will repay you. Now again, here too, remember yesterday's, this, the ashes aren't really a symbol that we're fasting. They're a symbol, as you heard me say, you're going to die. It's a symbol of mortality. It's a memento mori, huh? a reminder of death. All right. However, again, it's very daring that we read this gospel on the very sense, on the very day that we go out with our faces smudged. By the way, I, in most of Europe, was, if I, 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 you know, they sprinkle it in your hair. You don't even see it on your face. They just sprinkle it in your hair. I know the ladies would be very upset about that, but uh, most men wouldn't care. Um, now, um, <clears throat> the, um, but notice again, every time he mentions the word hypocrisy, it's about somebody being an actor, doing something in order to be seen because they're, they want applause. That's your actor. What's the solution? Your heavenly father. That's the solution. Okay. Now, I hope this starts to unlock for you how the problem of hypocrisy isn't just inconsistency um, or saying one thing, doing another, but it is a poignant problem, and it's something that we all struggle with, and it's a very deep struggle. And in some ways, it's a struggle that deserves some compassion. First of all, for yourself, as you make a journey, you know, to, to, to come to really know the Father in a very personal and a very, very tender way. That's the journey. And it doesn't just happen. And so you've got you to gotta ask for it and make that journey. And as you make that journey, as I make that journey, we start to see our desperate need for human applause and approval begin to diminish. Okay? And that's the journey. And why we should have some compassion, first of all, for ourselves. Be patient. You're making a journey. All right? Uh, when you catch yourself in, in these types of things where you say, man, I'm just, I'm just too upset, you know, if somebody doesn't like me, or I'm just too upset if I don't get praised, or if I, if I do something that maybe I could have done better and I'm embarrassed. You know, if, if, that's, if that's registering too high on your on your you know, emotion meter, if you want to put it that way, that shows that there's probably a problem that, that is hypocrisy. But again, in the poignant, subtle, and deeper and richer way that Jesus means the word. Not, you're just a hypocrite. You know, like, he, doesn't, he's not, he doesn't want you to, and me to hear that like that today. But rather, you need to make a journey. Your father sees, and he knows, you know, and... Um, and you know, you've got to pray a lot for clergy, you've got to pray a lot for other, other folks who, parents, you know, so many. Because you know, if we're not careful, we can fall into these traps, right? Um, or a priest is so desperate for approval and applause that he sort of soft pedals the gospel, only says the pleasant things and doesn't say the challenging things. He engages in just abstractions and generalities. And you might say, well, he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, Father. I know, but you know, he also doesn't want to have his feelings hurt. 
And sometimes when you get out there and you say, look, this needs to end. Something, this is sinful, it's wrong. He might not only get them upset, but he'll experience being hurt or rejected. And at some point, you've got to have enough steel in you to say, well, I know, but the Father has asked me. So you heard St. Paul, if you were in the Novus Ordo Mass on Sunday, and Paul said, it matters little to me. All that, he says, all that matters to me is that, I, that, I, that I'm a faithful steward of God. It matters little to me what you or any human tribunal, whatever sentence you pass on me, whatever judgment you pass on me, it matters little to me. I just want to be a faithful steward of God. Uh, maybe Paul was talking in hope, but he'd come to a point in his life where he says, I just know that I have to say what God gave me to say, and some people are going to hate me for it, and some people are, will love me for it, but that's, I don't do it for either the praise or the uh, I don't avoid it for the rebuke. I just want to please God. That's all I want. Now, was he there perfectly at the moment he wrote that? I don't know. Sometimes we write things in hope. You know? Where am I tonight? I had other, things, other things being equal, I'd like you all to say, well, this is a good talk. We got a lot out of it. Thanks for coming. But there might be somebody who says, you know, this guy's just irritating. He's loud. He's bombastic. I can't stand him. Okay. Find another preacher. <laughs> I am what I am. Soon quote, soon, soon quote soon, right? I am what I am, right? But I think that, uh, again, without becoming sociopathic, I think at some point we just have to come to accept that, look, uh, I've been asked to do something, and some, some people are going to love me, and some people are going to hate me. And we've just got to get used to that. Now, I said priests, but I said parents. There's too many parents today who are too desperate for their children to like them. Cut that out. You're not your child's friend. And if you are, you're probably in trouble. And they are probably in trouble. They need a parent. And sometimes the parent has to say, absolutely not. And if you do, you'll be punished. And there's just not enough of that going on today. It's been observed, so I won't go into any depths with that, but I'm just saying there are many good exceptions, but too many parents are desperate, desperate, desperate. To have their children's applause and the neighbor kids' applause and they want to, you know, be the coolest parent on the block kind of stuff, you know. And that isn't what kids need. They need parents. They need adults to be adults, right? And so they put on jeans and do goofy stuff. You know, I, I, was, uh, I came up through the 70s in the church, you know, and boy, what a, what a silly time, you know. And the catechists inevitably would kind of put on jeans and sort of, you know, kind of grow their hair long and try to have rap. They, well, rap sessions in those days meant a conversation, you know, like a cool conversation, you know. And we always, I don't know if they, they never seemed to get pick up on this, but we would laugh at them when they weren't in the room because they looked silly trying to be teenagers. They really looked silly. And we would mock them behind their back. And we didn't take them seriously, that's for sure. So, again, so it doesn't work anyway. You see what I'm saying? See? Do what God has called you to do and be, learn to come to some serenity and peace about that. Because Jesus says, you're not going to be greater than me. They hated me. They nailed me to a cross, for heaven's sakes. And you're worried if they raise their eyebrow at you? Come on, get a life and get a, get a spine and, and, and understand. I love you and I've sent you to do this and you might get killed for it, but if you do, I'll bring you up here and that's a maximum promotion. <laughs> Martyrs get the front seats in the orchestra section, all right? Who are you trying to please? And that's, that's what the Lord is asking us to look at in a gospel like this. Um, namely that, look, when you are struggling with this human, this poignant, common human problem, the solution is get to know your Heavenly Father. And if you don't have a very tender relationship with the Father, now look, you can teach a parrot to say the word Abba. It's not saying the word. It's experiencing the reality. Abba. Father, Daddy. Papa. If you don't have it, then go sell everything you have. Beg, borrow, steal, but get it. Get it. Because that's the normal Christian life, and it's the life that Christ died to give you. And, to, and if, that, if that begins to take hold in your life, a tender affection for the Father, everything starts to come alive. And you can go before groups and speak with confidence. You, you can go before your children. And sometimes it's easier to preach to a group, but one-on-one, -on -one, whoa, that's really a, that's dangerous territory. 30 feet away from everybody in the pulpit, that's easy, you know. But at the dining room table, woo, that's, that's, that's close contact. See? What's that? All right. But again, all of these are ways of saying, but you'll, you'll have it because it's coming from a relationship where you have confidence, you've experienced love, and you know it's true. See? You're not just trying to win an argument anymore. You're just speaking from your heart about a God whom you've met and you love, and he's told you his truth, and you want to share it. All right, so it unlocks a lot.
Now, we didn't get a chance to, and left the verses out intentionally because we've already done a, I've done a course on the Our Father. I don't know if it's online or if there's a disc over there, but we went through the Our Father and I looked at the five stages of prayer and the Our Father and so on. But I want to just focus on the first one. But by the way, just by, if you want to remember, the five stages of prayer in the Our Father are to relate, Our Father who art in heaven, and then to rejoice, hallowed be your name, praise him, right? Hmm? Uh, so relate, rejoice, receive, your kingdom come, your will be done. So sit and listen, allow the Father to reveal his kingdom, to teach you, see? Okay, relate, rejoice, receive, request, give us a stay our daily bread, and then finally repent. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those. Five stages of prayer. But the first stage is what I want to just emphasize tonight, and then we'll take some time for questions and so on. Relate. When you pray, say, Father, Father, Father. In the Matthean version, our Father. See, Go before Him. He's your Father. He loves you. He created you. He's always known you. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and thought about you and prepared for you. And God always had you on His mind. And He set everything into place just so you could be created, just as you are. He didn't just get your parents to meet, but your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, all in just the right combinations so that you would exist just as you are. And He also knew your sins. And He still created you. <laughs> Before I ever formed you in the womb, says the Lord, I knew you. And in Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I skillfully wrought you in that secret place. And every one of your days was written in my book before one of them ever came to be. And I love you, and I know you, and I thought about you, I've sustained you, and I want you to spend eternity with me. Now, is that enough for you? Why are you so desperate that fickle human beings praise you or don't praise you? See? You know the answer, right? Because what I just said to you is all lovely on the pages of a book in the back of a holy card, but is it really alive in your heart as an experience? Now you, like I said, whatever you got to do to get this, beg, borrow, steal, sell everything you have and get it! Of course, you don't have to do all that. Just say, Lord, give it to me. And you start to be serious about that. And the Lord will say, no one who calls on me will I ever reject. The Father's waiting for you to ask. So again, I know that many of you are far along on this. You don't need to hear this from me, but all of us need a word of encouragement to say, look, this is really key, right? This is really key. Now again, as the book of Hebrews points out, this doesn't mean that Father's just, Father God is just some doting God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Every father disciplines their children, right? Book of Hebrews, right? What father among you doesn't discipline his children? And he does it because he loves them and wants life to go well for them, not badly. So again, this isn't just some doting father. It's a father we love, a father we respect. And we know, though, when he does correct us, it's for our good. See? Okay. Now, therefore, we have then this magnificent call, if you will, this problem of hypocrisy. But the solution is to get in touch with our Heavenly Father as a lived experience and so today, um, I would just say to you that part of your Lenten journey, part of your life's journey, and mine, is to get to know the Father. Now go with me to the Garden of Eden, and remember what happened. God loved Adam and Eve, and he walked with them in the cool of the evening, while the dew was collecting on the grass, in the breezy time of the day. But Adam and Eve, as you know, sinned, and the very first thing, they heard God coming. And they hid. Now, can, let me just ask you a question. Had God changed? Did he suddenly develop fangs? No, they had changed, right? right? And God realized that they could no longer endure his presence because when you're not holy, you can't endure the presence of the holy. Just like when you're used to the darkness, the light, the light is obnoxious and hurtful. You ever been in a very, very dark theater in a matinee and you come out into a bright summer parking lot? It's like two sticks in your eyes. It's just literally painful, right? And you just, or you come out from the doctor's office with the dilated pupils, you know? I mean, that's what it would be like to be in God's presence when you're used to the darkness. And sin brings us into the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness cannot tolerate the kingdom of light. It finds it obnoxious and hateful. And God says, I will not force you to endure what you cannot endure. So God escorted them out of the garden. and said, but I will repair this. He cursed Satan and said, I'm going to make you and the woman enemies. And I'm going to send one of her sons to destroy your power. 
And that's Mother Mary, and Jesus came. And what did Jesus do? He opened up the kingdom of heaven. The, the temple, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. <laughs> Access to the Father. There is no greater gift that Jesus wants to give you than a tender, divine, and human affection for his Father. That's his gift. That's what he wants for you. He really wants it. The question is, do you want it? See? And so that's why a text like this, you see there's so much more going on here than just stopping a hypocrite, you hypocrite! You know, and we just stay at that level, don't we? Right? But it's a very poignant problem, and it's a very there's a certain tenderness that the Lord has about it. He he's presents it in something of a kind of a cartoonish way, yes, because we should have a little bit of a laugh at ourselves sometimes, right? We are kind of silly. We get all worked up about just dumb stuff, don't we? We maximize the minimum and we minimize the maximum. But at the end of the day, a little humor, but it's that very tragic loss that we experienced all the way back in Eden that we're trying to get back now, right? And we finally come, you know, to that beautiful story of the prodigal son, right? And how he was reunited with his father. But there comes this other son, and I'll finish on this point. And he saw that his way wayward brother has been welcomed back, and he's angry, and there's all kinds of issues there, but he keeps calling him your son, this son of yours. He says, he's your brother. The father then, but notice what happens, and no ancient father would have ever done this. This is why these parables are just so full of just remarkably paradoxical, shocking details. But the idea of a father, especially a patriarchal father who owns property, coming out and begging and pleading with his son, that did not happen in the ancient world. But Jesus says, my father's like this. When you're standing out there sullen and angry with him and you don't want to go into the feast, he comes out and he pleads. He pleads. We have to celebrate. Now come into the feast. And then the story ends. Well, did he go in or not? That's because you're the son. You're the daughter. You have to answer the question. Will you go in? Will you accept the invitation of the father? There's that, that, that pleading father standing outside, pleading for his son to enter into the celebration. Well, who wouldn't want to go into a celebration? Hmm. A lot of people. Because the father might have an agenda in there like praising my brother that I hate and I don't want to go in. So there's any number of things that might keep us distant from the father. But there's this pleading father who just says, I love you and I want you to spend eternity with me. Now come on in before it's finally time to close the door. And that pleading father echoed another, pleading, another picture of the pleading father all the way back in Genesis. When God saw that Adam and Eve went off his radar, went off the radar of his heart. He came into the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now he knew where he was in space. You get the idea. Adam, where's your heart? And finally, of course, they have that conversation. But you see, don't ever miss that question. Adam, Eve, put your name in the sentence. Charles, where are you? I love you. You're going off my radar. Return to me. And that's the Father who loves you. And that's the solution to hypocrisy. Amen. Amen. Thank, you. Thank you, Monsignor. That was wonderful. As a former actor, uh, I found that to be very, very poignant. Thank you. All right, so we'll take a short question and answer. All right, who's the first brave soul? Just a simple one, Monsignor. Would you please repeat the five R's for the Our Father? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sure. Uh, number one, relate. Our Father who art in heaven. All right, relate to him. Uh, secondly, um, the uh, rejoice. Your name is holy. You know, hallowed be your name. All right, so relate, rejoice. Receive. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Namely, teach me, uh, show me the values, the, the truths of your kingdom, okay? So, relate, uh, rejoice, uh, receive, request. Give us this day our daily bread, as it allowing bread to be a symbol of all of our needs. And then, finally, uh, repent. Repent. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's a kind of a five-fold 
kind of schema for the, for, the, for the prayer life, if you will, that the Lord sets forth. He's not just giving words to say, but he's giving a kind of a, a picture or a structure for prayer. Thank you for the talk. Uh, I'm wondering if there's sort of a middle ground that a lot of us might be stuck in, like almsgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I'm not really... You know, are we doing it because, well, the bishops say this is Lent, we're going to mm -hmm. give you know, to the Lenten appeal, and so it's sort of like, okay, this is what we do, even if no one else knows how much I'm giving or whatever mm -hmm. we do, but it's, it's not really because of our Father, and mm -hmm. if you wanted to comment on that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, who's the bishop appealing for? A lot of people missed it, what the appeal is about. It's, the bishop is appealing on behalf of the poor and the needy. I don't know if that helps a little, because I think that a lot of times, I've had to explain that to people, the cardinal's appeal. <laughs> what does the cardinal want? The cardinal's, it's not, he's not appealing for himself, he's appealing for the poor and the needy. And uh, if that, if, if that helps a little, but I think that, uh, yeah, sometimes we do things because we're expected um, to do them, and if that's all you got, do it. But the point is to ask the Lord to sort of transpose that to something higher so that, yeah, I know the bishop is asking, but I wanted to do it anyway, and I'm glad that the church has something, put something together so that my money can go a little further. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, and I love you. And I, I love everyone you love, including the poor. And the bishop's appealing for your great friends, the poor. All right? Anybody else? Nobody wants to admit that they're an expert <laughs> in hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm up here as an expert on hypocrisy. <laughs> um, thank you, Father. Uh, can you try to fuse the, the term and the concept of pride in here? I know that could be yeah. another hour and a half, but no. Yeah. Um, but but mm -hmm. mention on that and how that yeah. interacts with hypocrisy, hypocrisy yeah. and pride. Well, you know, pride is the, is the, is the, uh, the cardinal sin wherein I, I think too highly of, of myself. Huh? But you, we all know that's a very fragile operation because deep down inside we know we ain't all that sometimes. So, but when we start to think too highly of ourselves, because it is fragile, we start to posture and try to get evidence how great we really are. You know, and I think that's how it would interact. Uh, it's one way anyway. There could be other ways. But what initially occurs to me is, you know, if I think I am all this, I'm really in very fragile territory, and I'm probably going to need lots of reassurance that I really am all this. And try to get it uh, and seek it, and so I end up becoming kind of an actor. If you want to stay in touch with me, blog.adw.org would be, and I'll, I'll publish this article probably in the next couple days, uh, where I'll, uh, you know, put it on the, in, in written form, you know, other ways as well. Yes, Father, uh, we took God out of the schools back in the 1960s with this O'Hara lady. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you address that? Uh, what why have we lost God? And, and it looks like it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's going from generation to generation to generation yeah, now yeah. Uh, because right. they're not seeing it in school at all. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what's the one reason that we've lost God? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say the one, the one reason, um, but I think, and you've had some very good speakers on this topic here too, but I think at the end of the day, it, it is, it, it's a very odd place we are in the modern culture because peoples, collectively speaking, are naturally religious. It, we, the, the, the age in which we live is somewhat unique in the kind of godlessness that uh, has come to pass. And uh, so it, it's so unique that I think we have only theories, but I do think that some of it is rooted in uh, a satanic attack that for his own reasons, God has permitted. But the last hundred and some years, and you've heard me on this before, and I, I would go on too long tonight if I tried to go through all of it, but you just survey the 20th century, and you, you, how can you conclude that it wasn't handed over to Satan somehow? I mean, what a bloodbath. I mean, how many hundreds of millions were killed in the wars, the two world wars, and then, don't forget, the first world war was chemical warfare. I mean... That's, that was so awful that all the nations came up with a treaty not to use chemical warfare ever again. And then a worse war came, you know, with nuclear, as well as the Holocaust and just endless suffering. I mean, we, can you imagine, I mean, we lost uh, about, gosh, what is it, about five, 450, 500,000 in, in, that, in that war in World War II. The Russians lost 13 million. I mean, do you, do you see 
what we're dealing with. And then on top of that, the Cold War and all the things that Stalin did, how many he starved in the Ukraine. There's a new memorial about that over near on, on Massachusetts Avenue, by the way, uh, that just opened. It's, it's it, un, unbelievable. As many as, you know, 300 million people were put to death for ideological purposes by people like Mao and Stalin and Pol Pot and and so on. And our hands in America aren't entirely clean, but you see the idea. I mean, we've been through a satanic attack. And on top of that, all of our technology has made us proud and braggadocious, and we think we know a few things because we've been to the moon and back. You know. And again, all of these are just ways of saying our Tower of Babel looms large, but never forget. There's a funny detail about the Tower of Babel. Remember, God says, they built this thing. Let's go down and see what it is. <laughs> It was so tiny that God had to stoop down. He had to come down to see what it was. Anyway, but, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of this, but I, I really want to say that it's a very unique time that uh, almost, you know, to have become as godless as we've become in the West. And it's quite a unique thing in, in human history. Even if they had it superstitiously or, or lots of errors, you know, but all the ancient cultures, you know, were very almost superstitiously religious. And we're just, you know, like, you know. Who's God? You know. Anyway, so I, I, it's a little mysterious, but I, I would trace it to some prophecies that Pope Leo had uh, about a hundred-year period of real trial and testing. Uh, Our Lady of Fatima and what she taught us. Uh, and uh, we, we've got to get better. Now, this is the 100th anniversary. You better make your first Saturdays. Take five of them, whatever five, but you make them. Or Our Lady said pray. I think a real blessings can be unlocked and we may start to see a, something turn if we really pray and it might get worse if we don't. So, Anyway, bless you for your patience. Thank you, Monsignor. Thank you. Thank you we hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.